Good morning and welcome to the Proactive IT Cybersecurity Daily number 204. It is Monday, September 14, 2020. I'm your host, Scott Gumbar, and schools are being targeted. This podcast is brought to you by Nuage Tech, a client-focused and security-minded IT consultant based in Central Connecticut. You can visit us at nuagetech.com. That's N-W-A-J-Tech.com. Happy return to work day. Happy Monday. Happy, I don't know, happy happy to be alive day. Wherever you're listening to this, if you could like, share, comment, or review, that would be spectacular. Do that, and I promise we'll record again tomorrow. And if you're, HIPAA, if you're in a HIPAA-compliant business, please go to Facebook and or LinkedIn. Type Get HIPAA Compliance into the search and join the group where we share lots of HIPAA information. We have quite a bit today, actually. All right, first up on threat post, WordPress plugin flaw allows attackers to forge emails. The high severity flaw in the email subscribers and newsletters plugin by Icegram affects more than 100,000 WordPress websites. More than 100,000 WordPress websites are affected by a high severity flaw and a plugin that assists websites in sending out emails and newsletters to subscribers. The vulnerability exists in the email subscribers and newsletter plugin by Icegram, which enables Users to collect leads, send automated new blog post notification emails, a remote oh, and sorry, a remote uh, unauthenticated attacker can exploit the flaw to send forged emails to all recipients from the available list of contacts or subscribers with complete control over the content and subject of the email. So if you're using email subscribers and newsletters plugin by Icegram version 4.5.6 or lower, or I'm sorry, lower than 4.5.6, then you should update it immediately. This is being tracked as CVE 2020-5780 and ranks at a 7.5 on the CVSS scale, which goes up to 10, so it's pretty high severity. A um, little bit different news here. PC Gamer reports Walmart is selling gateway PCs, and no, the year is not 1999. The gateway brand returns with PCs ranging in price from $200 to $1,200. To borrow the opening from the outer limits, there is nothing wrong with your display. Do not attempt to adjust the picture. Yes, there are actually new gateway PCs on the market wrapped in cow-spotted package, packaging like the old days as in two decades ago, and they were only available. They are only available at Walmart. So if you're interested in going retro here and getting a gateway PC, go to Walmart and buy one. Also of interesting news... Windows 10 is getting a built-in video conferencing feature. This is on Bleepit Computer. Microsoft is testing a new feature in Windows 10 preview builds that integrates Skype's Meet Now video conferencing feature directly into the operating system. With the businesses and consumers relying on video conferences, conferencing to stay in touch with coworkers, friends, and family during the coronavirus pandemic, Microsoft is betting that people would want this feature built directly into Windows 10. With yesterday's release of Windows 10 preview build 2211, Microsoft developer Rafael Rivera has discovered a hidden feature that integrates Skype's Meet Now video conferencing feature into Windows 10. The feature will add a small button to Windows 10 system tray when enabled. And you'll see a, like a camera icon, almost looks a little bit like the zoom icon. When clicked on, a flyout will appear, allowing you to create a meeting or join a meeting. So very similar to the the video tools that we're all familiar with at this point, but they're going to build it into Windows 10 
It looks looks to be the case anyway. So pretty cool. I'm sure it'll get some use. Um, we'll see how it goes. On CyberScoop, Postal Service left vulnerable IT applications unaddressed for years, Inspector General finds. So in case you haven't been keep it up, the post office has a new Inspector General, and there's been all kinds of uh, political stuff going on around that. But anyway... Officials at the U.S. Postal Service let multiple vulnerability, vulnerable applications languish on the agency's IT network for years, flaws that could have been exploited by attackers to steal sensitive data, an Inspector General audit has found. The Inspector General investigation distributed to Postal Service leadership in July faults IT off officials at the agency for not keeping a slew of applications up to date. Six of the IT applications were left on the Postal Service network for up to seven years with things like incomplete certification, and accredita accreditation from technology executives, according to the uh, Inspector General's memo. A dozen vulnerabilities were deemed catastrophic by USPS's Corporate Information Security Office. The watchdog said, meaning that they could have exposed the agency to big financial damages. These are common, well-known vulnerabilities that have been present for three years that could be exploited by an attacker utilizing publicly available methods, the memo reads. The vulnerabilities identified in this report were found, scoped, and addressed by the Postal Service. An agency spokesperson told CyberScoop these applications are now addressed. But before they were addressed, the Inspector General report concluded the Postal Service did not completely evaluate the risk these vulnerable applications posed. Postal Service executives agreed with the audit's findings and pledged to improve the agency's cybersecurity. CyberScoop has not seen any evidence that the vulnerabilities have been exploited by hackers. So good news, bad news probably going to be some jobs available soon but um post office it not keeping up with their their internal it audits security audits and so forth and and fixing them as they need to be fixed on the hacker news new linux malware steals call details from voip soft switch systems Cybersecurity researchers have discovered an entirely new kind of Linux, Linux, not Linux, Linux, malware dubbed CDR, CDR thief, and CDR is short for call detail records that targets voice over IP soft switches in an attempt to steal phone metadata. The primary goal of the malware is to exfiltrate various private data from compromised soft switch, including call detail records, ESET researchers said in a Thursday analysis. To steal this metadata, the Malware queries internal MySQL databases used by the SoftSwitch. Thus, attackers demonstrate a good understanding of the internal architecture of the targeted platform. SoftSwitches, short for software switches, are generally VoIP servers that allow for telecommunication networks to provide management of voice, fax, data, and video traffic and call routing. ESET's research uncovered that CDR Thief targeted a specific Linux VoIP platform named namely the VOS 2009 and 3000 soft switches from Chinese company LinkNet and had it malicious had its malicious functionality encrypted to evade static analysis the malware starts off by attempting to locate the soft switch configuration files from a list of predetermined directories with the goal of accessing the MySQL database credentials which are then decrypted to query the database so it's sort of credential stuffing. They're looking for MySQL credentials to steal the data and then run with it. 
um, but this is happening on Linux soft switches. So um, Linux appears to be increasingly attractive to hackers. What I mean by that is it's always been an operating system used by hackers, but now it looks like it's being heavily targeted by hackers. I don't know about heavily, but more so than, than ever before. So don't assume because you're on Linux or Apple Mac for that per, for that matter that you are secure. That is far from true. And um, if, if you are complacent, then you are going to be targeted and probably successfully. On darkreading.com, ransomware hits U.S. District Court in Louisiana. Again, Louisiana gets hit with a ransomware attack. The ransomware attack has exposed internal documents from the court and knocked its website offline. You may remember, uh, I don't have all the details in front of me, so I don't know who, who or, or what came of it, but some government official in Louisiana was leading the charge against MSPs, saying that we, we don't do our jobs and so forth, but here we go again. The 4th District Court of Louisiana has been hit with ransomware, and the attackers have published court data on the dark web to prove their capabilities. The attack attributed to and claimed by the Conti Malware Group has knocked the court's website offline, along with that of the Louisiana Supreme Court. And this was on Friday. Um, Conti is a Russian group. Uh, they were, it used to be Ryuk, and it looks like they've split off and become Conti. Uh, the public sector is an increasingly common target for malicious actors in cyberspace, according to Brett Callow, threat analyst at MCSoft. This marks the 207th incident at a public sector organization in 2020. Conti, the group behind Ryuk Ransomware, uses the TrickBot malware distribution network to deliver the ransomware payload. Like Ryuk, Conti uses a variety of obfuscation and evasion techniques to avoid detection with hundreds of commands and instructions dedicated to the task. So not much more detail than that. So I don't know if it's back up or what the status is that was on Friday. And, um, you know, Louisiana, can, for, for whatever reason, continues to be a target. And I don't know if it's an MSP that's at fault, multiple MSPs, or if it's internal IT. I would guess the latter. I've seen some of the internal IT and some of their work for these, these um, municipalities and so forth, and they really just do not – I don't know if it's they don't care, they don't know, or what it is, but it's, it's terrible. The security, the level of security that is provided is terrible. And speaking of which, the title of our show, another school system hit. Fairfax County schools hit by May's ransomware student data leaked. Fairfax County Public Schools, the 10th largest school division in the U.S., was recently hit by ransomware, according to an official statement published on Friday evening. The school district is also the largest in the Baltimore-Washington metropolitan area and has a budget of $3.1 billion approved for 2021. FCPS has over 188,000 current students and approximately 25,000 full-time employees working in 198 schools and centers within the U.S. Commonwealth of Virginia. At the moment, the exact date when the ransomware impacted FCPS's network is not yet known, but the school district says that it collaborated that it collaborated with the FBI to determine what ransomware's gang is behind the attack. FCPS recently learned that ransomware was placed on some of the technology systems. We are taking this matter very seriously and are working diligently to address the, the issue. The statement reads: We currently believe we may have been victimized by cyber criminals who may, who have been connected to dozens of ransomware attacks in other school systems and corporations worldwide. 
SCPS has also retained the services of external security experts to help with the ongoing investigation as well as to get the affected systems back online and determine the full scope of the attack. SCPS is committed to protecting the information of our students, our staff, and their families, the school division added. We will work with law enforcement to the fullest extent to prosecute any individuals or groups that attack our systems. Bleep Computer has reached out to FCPS for additional details on the attack, but have not heard back at the time of this um, article, which again was on Friday. It, the attack was claimed by Maze Ransomware, and they are sharing screenshots of data they supposedly have. And you can expect that the ransom request is probably pretty significant. Um, if the schools continue to be a target, I did hear of at least two different DDoS attacks on school systems last week. DDoS being short for Distributed Denial Service, and it is potential. You know, Maze is not, you know, Maze is not a student, but there is the potential that some of these attacks are students just looking to not be in school or not have to do school for a day. On bleeping computer, Razer data leak exposes personal information of gamers. Gaming hardware manufacturer Razer has suffered a data leak after an unsecured database for the online store was exposed online. Razer is a Singaporean-American gaming hardware manufacturer known for their mice, keyboards, and other high-end gaming devices. Around August 19th, security researcher Bob Dechenko found an unsecured database that exposed the information of approximately 100,000 people who purchased items from Razer's online store. This exposed information included customer's name, email address, phone number, order numbers, order details, and billing and shipping addresses as below. In a statement to Duchenko's LinkedIn article, Razor stated they, that they finally secured the database server on September 9th and thanked the researcher for his help. I mean, that's, what is that? That's about three weeks in between. If threat actors access this data, they could use the information in targeted phishing campaigns to gather more sensitive information such as passwords and credit card details. While it is not known if any threat actors access the exposed data before it was secured, it is vital for those affected to be diligent against potential spear phishing campaigns. And, you know, I think I need to dedicate an episode. Maybe I'll do that on the, on the uh, This Week in HIPAA podcast. But th this is getting a little ridiculous. And this is a gaming, this is a company that makes hardware for computers, gaming computers, and so forth. And if you don't know how to secure a, a cloud database, you don't have somebody inside your organization that can do that. That, to me, is a concern, and this is happening more and more. And if a security researcher can find it, so can a hacker. And you can bet that if it was up for three weeks, exposed, that they, somebody else probably found it. Because it's a really a simple internet search. You find an exposed database, and then you do what you want with it. If Bob Dechenko is the only person that found it, great for a razor. But I can just about guarantee he's not the only one that found it. Uh, Bleepy Computer, U.S. staffing firm Artec discloses a ransomware attack. Data breach. Artec Information Systems, one of the largest U.S. IT staffing companies, has disclosed a data breach caused by a ransomware attack that affected some of its systems during early January 2020. So that's, you know, eight months ago. Artec is a privately held firm with an estimated $810 million in annual revenue rate from 2019 and more than 10,500 employees and consultants across the U.S. states, Canada, India, and China. Sounds like they could have used one or two of those consultants. The company provides staffing and workforce, workforce solutions, program management, 
and government services, and its customer list includes over 80 Fortune 500 clients and U.S. federal government entities. The ransomware attack was discovered by Artec after finding ransomware on some systems following reports of unusual activity related to one of its employees' user accounts. That same day, Artec engaged a leading third-party forensic investigation firm to assess the security of its systems and to confirm the nature and scope of the incident. A data breach notification letter sent to affected individuals explains. On January 15th, the investigation determined that an unauthorized actor had access to certain Artec systems between January 5th and January 8th. Bleepy Computer learned of the attack on Artec servers on January 11th when the Revel Sodonokibi ransomware gang leaked 337 megs, that's megabytes, of what they claimed to be stolen files from the company's servers. This is a small part of what we have, Revel's operator said at the time. If there are no movements, we will sell the remaining more important and interesting commercial and personal data to third parties, including financial details. Bleepy Computer reached out to Artec to find out if they were aware of the attack and ransomware groups claims, but our emails were ignored with no answer received until we published this article. So six months later, or seven, what is it, eight months later, and they're just now confirming this. So um, that's not really a good look if it's taking you eight months to report a data breach to the public. I'm hoping that they sent communications out to the people that were impacted. All right, so we have some HIPAA stuff here. One I'm going to, it's not really a, a, it's not a breach at all. It's Amazon. I was not aware, to be honest with you, that Alexa was, Amazon Alexa was, and I should be careful because I have one here. And I don't want it to start talking to me. But they are, they do have HIPAA eligible Alexa skills. So there are already some skills approved in the title of this article, which is on voicebot.ai. Amazon opens applications for HIPAA-eligible Alexa skills. Amazon is expanding its HIPAA-compliant Alexa skill program a year after its first debut. Any interested voice app developer may now apply for the special certification proving the skill complies with the Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act with Amazon's and with Amazon standards for those skills. As applying voice technology to healthcare becomes more popular, Offering a guide toward the HIPAA compliance could help position Amazon as a leader in the space. Amazon availed its HIPAA compliance program over a year ago. Six voice apps in the Alexa platform were certified by government as safe to collect and distribute protected health information appropriately. Talkspace, Boston Children's Hospital, and others were all invited to participate in the program and until now has remained an invite-only program. At the time, Amazon painted the limits as necessary to test and improve how the program would operate, including the release of an Alexa skills kit specifically for healthcare. IT developers must explain why th they want the certification, how they will get people to find it and use it, and how it will offer compelling experience for users. Just technically complying with all the guidelines is not enough, and Amazon has made it clear that not every application will be approved regardless of developers' technical ability. Over the past year, we have seen the HIPAA-eligible skills are a powerful way to connect covered entities and business associates with their users in an easy-to-use conversational voice experience. HIPAA-eligible skills give users a hands-free way to quickly manage a variety of healthcare needs at home, whether that is asking for the remaining insurance deductible, accessing hospital post-discharge instructions, or as part of an ongoing disease management program.
Amazon's Matt Haston said in a blog post, developers accepted into the program will find a new tab in the developer console where you can learn more about how to build a HIPAA-eligible skill, the unique technical requirements for HIPAA-eligible skills, and then when you are ready, indicate that you intend for your skill to handle PHI and agree to Alexa Business Associate Agreement. HIPAA's restrictions are seen as important for protecting people's health data, but they have slowed down the introduction of voice technology to healthcare in many ways, even as more people want to do so. As seen, uh, there's a, a survey. Um, so as seen in the image survey, found that more than half of U.S. adults are interested in making voice assistance part of their healthcare. Amazon is exploring other ways to use Voice technology for healthcare. The new Amazon Halo Fitness Band, which is a HIPAA compliant, which is HIPAA compliant, includes a feature to judge your social health by the tone of your voice. Although the device offers no Alexa support at all, the updated application for HIPAA Alexa program is notably strict, especially considering that the company has been accused of being lax in its oversight of Alexa skills. So I would, um, I would be concerned from you know besides this this programming skills needed and the security involved and all of that the um the other concern would be how do you secure that how do you prevent someone else in the range of that alexa from being able to get that information so i don't you know i don't have all the details so i don't know how it really works I we do use alexas um so i know how alexa works i just don't know how it works with with hipaa so I will try to get more information and share that with you. Hennepin County Medical Center faces possible legal action over snooping on George Floyd's medical records. I did share this on in the HIPAA, Get HIPAA Compliance groups. I did not share this on a podcast, so I will share it here. Hennepin County Medical Center in Minneapolis is potentially facing legal action over snooping on George Floyd's medical records by multiple employees. Attorney Antonio Ramanucci of Chicago-based law firm Ramanucci and Blandin said he was informed that several employees of Hennepin County Medical Center had ac- accessed George Floyd's medical records on multiple occasions when there was no legitimate reason for doing so, in clear violation of hospital policies in the Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act. Attorneys representing Hennepin County Medical Center notified the family of George Floyd that certain records relating to George Floyd had been inappropriately accessed by certain employees. Details about the types of records viewed by the employees, the individuals involved, and the positions at Hennepin County Medical Center were not disclosed. Antonio Ramanucci and the family's legal team issued a statement to the Star Tribune saying that they are currently exploring all remedies to make this right and make the family whole for the incredible intrusion of privacy. The security of medical records and personal information is of critical importance in Minnesota and across the country. George Floyd's family have yet to decide whether they to take legal action against the medical center at this stage. No subpoenas have been used or issued to obtain further information from Hennepin County Medical Center about the number of individuals involved and the types of information they accessed. Hennepin Healthcare was contacted for further information about the privacy breach and said any breach of patient confidentiality is taken seriously and thoroughly investigated, but also said they could not comment on the privacy breach due to patient confidentiality, which is kind of an oxymoron a little bit there. Hennepin Healthcare did confirm that the individuals who accessed George Floyd's protected health information are no longer employed by Hennepin County Medical Center. It is unclear if those individuals were terminated or if they voluntarily resigned from their positions. So the the issue there is, um, and I'm not sure that there can be any legal action, 
um, as far as lawsuits are concerned. But the the issue is the is probably while it's not the most common type of HIPAA breach or cause of HIPAA breach, it is probably the most difficult to defend against because especially when it's a, a high profile person. So we saw this with um, Jason Pierre-Paul a few few years ago when when you know the NFL player that. Um, um, blew up his hand with a firework, um, and we've seen this with other other high profile people in the past. It's hard to, you know, just the um, curiosity factor alone is is hard for to dissuade people from from doing that. But then on top of that, maybe there was some other driving forces for for these employees to try to access George Floyd's record given the current climate in this country and you know those for those against and so forth um, and yet another healthcare system comes forward and says they were impacted by the blackboard ransomware attack I feel like we're reporting this a few times a week now this one is Inova health system and this one is 1.05 million individuals so that will tr- almost double the count um, and there is, they're estimating now this to be at almost 3 million. So it's at 2,990,703 people impacted this by this one ransomware attack at Blackboard. Um, it continues to be a problem, and I'm sure we're not done yet. That is going to do it for the Proactive IT Cybersecurity Daily from Monday. So until tomorrow, stay healthy, stay safe, and stay secure. 